You are listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Hello, Ethan. Oh, hello. Welcome back to now. Back indeed. It feels so good. Yeah, we uh, took a little recording break Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from the studio. The Advent season. Yeah, it would have been it would have been tough for a number of reasons. Yes, so it's nice to be back. It's it really nice to be back. It is nice, and to I'm be not back. even a morning person. Yeah, look at that. Uh, but that's I mean, how this magical is, it is. Yeah, it how is. How about that? Did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? Everything and more. Everything and more. That wow. sounds like what really a... hallmarky. Yeah, but it was really good. <laughs> it was really good. That's pretty much all there is to it. Very rewarding. Very nice time. Very relaxing. We actually got a snow. I know. How unusual. How unusual indeed. So I'll take it. It's not was... even. It wasn't even an ugly snow. It was like a really nice white picturesque blanket. It was. I'll take it. I was trying to remember the last time we would have had a white Christmas, and it's... I feel like the last time I could vividly remember it, I was a young child. Oh yeah, it's been. Well, I'll say the past two to three years, we've had a very weirdly temperate Christmas day. Absolutely no trace of snow. You could literally stand outside and just take in this the view, I guess. <laughs> Behold this muddy gray landscape. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it was a light jacket Christmas for the past few years. So this was, mm. this was a change of pace. It was. It was. Well, it was a magical Christmas. Yeah. I'm I'm glad we're back though. Me too. We're back at it. Welcome so. to 2021. 2021. Everything is magically reset, right? Well, it's going to I mean the bar's low. Let's be real. <laughs> the bar's low. So we're no, no one came into 2021 with any, you know, <laughs> hopes. Uh, that's not completely uh, true, but you know what I'm saying. Things will at some point be on the uh, the upswing. Yeah. I did see a meme the other day where someone was like, I just realized that they had the number 2021, right? If you spell it out a certain way, you could read it as 2020 W-O-N, as in like the year 2020 <laughs> won and beat all of us. That's pretty accurate. And then too. <laughs> the next year is 2022, so it would be 2020 T-O-O, as in oh, whoa. We did another 2020. That's really gross. That was a- That's demoralizing. I was like laughing and then- cry and the, you know it's, it's a bit much oh, so anyway here we are and here we are we have just come out of the christmas season mm-hmm. we did just come out of the church calendar season of advent both of those are church calendar seasons by the way i don't know why i distinguished advent from christmas those are both they're the, the same season well so advent actually technically precedes on the church calendar christmas so it doesn't stretch over it they don't overlap no okay. so we what Americans typically call the Christmas season before Christmas is Advent, mm. and then technically in the church calendar, the Christmas season goes up through January 6th. Oh, so that's why like Advent calendars and all Advent things, they lead up to and then right. stop. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So I don't know why I distinguished those two in my head when I was talking that way, but you know, that's how we perceive those things. Point being, we are out of those seasons. And so we have just celebrated the dawn of God's plan for salvation and the arrival and birth of Jesus. And of course, if you were in a church for Advent, you've probably heard some sermon or something. Hopefully you've heard something on how God the Son was incarnated in our skin and our space during this time. And in the midst of uh, all that celebration, I'm sure there were probably people who wondered, as I've often wondered from time to time, why did God the Son have to become human in order to save us? Okay, Josiah... Why did God the Son <laughs> have to become human in order to save us? But, but I mean, why not use why not use infinite power to to rewrite 
time or <laughs> why why even submit to the shackles of, of human form yes that is a good question mm. and that's what we're going to dig into here nice. today I do feel like I, as always, I'm the king of qualifications, so I feel like we ought to qualify that we are, as we tend to do on this podcast, we're entering into a topic of discussion that has been around for longer than any of us have been alive, <laughs> longer than our country has been alive, longer than most nations have been That's true. around. Whole church councils were convened on what it means that God the Son became human and how he can be both fully God and fully man and... That's not what we're primarily concerned with here. We've talked about and touched on that in other episodes. Mm -hmm. You know, you can go back and listen to some of our stuff on the Apostles' Creed, for instance. So this won't be anything super, super new for our regular listeners, but given that we did just come out of the Advent season, I do think it's a pertinent discussion to kind of capstone everything that we've just celebrated. So Yeah, well, even talking about like what it it means to be both God and man doesn't even necessarily explain why it needed to go down like that. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a multifaceted thing. Right. Yeah. I was talking to uh, someone a couple weeks ago and they were asking a question along similar lines. Like, well, why why did human history have to go the way it went anyway? Mm. Right. Like, why did human history have to be the way it is? Why couldn't you just Doctor Strange the thing, you know, and go back, you know, <laughs> rewrite time or something, you know? Yeah. So what we want to try and see more clearly here in this episode is why God the Son had to become human to begin with in the timeline in which we inhabit, right, mm. so to speak. Right. Put my Doctor Strange terminology out there. Why couldn't he have just come in his completely divine nature uh, without taking on a human nature? Mm. I think that's a reasonable question sure. to ask. So Seems like a lot of hoops to jump through. Yes, it uh, a lot a lot to endure there. And know? like a lot of people have yeah. to cooperate just, yeah. just so that could happen. Right. There are a lot of moving pieces yes. to this whole plan. So here are a few things to consider. First off, here's one very compelling reason. In order for sin to be atoned for and dealt with, a payment of death is required. So God made that clear in the Garden of Eden, right? He said, the day you disobey me, you take of this fruit, you eat of it, you shall surely die. Prophet Ezekiel says, the soul that sins shall die. So there is a penalty that must be exacted for sin in order for God to maintain his just nature, right? So he can't deny himself. Like He, can't, he cannot deny his justice, Um, Because that would be, in a way, denying who he is. So, like, Mm. there has to be a penalty. That penalty is, unfortunately for us, death. Now, God, thankfully, was like, well, I'm going to deal with your problem for you. The obvious tension and problem that creates is that God, in his divine nature, cannot die. That is impossible for him to do as well. So, when God the Son took on flesh... Now he can die. Mm. Now, in a in a sense, God can die. Or to say it like the author of Hebrews says it in chapter 10, verses 12 to 14. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Mm. This is probably my gut reaction to the question of why. Perhaps also my only my only answer um, <laughs> as this like cosmically transactional requirement to mm-hmm. atone for sin. He has to inhabit this space where death is possible. Yeah. And I don't think most people even consider that, though. Like mm-hmm. They're just, you know, like, oh, yeah, like God, if he was going to do this, it had to die. And the only way for God to die is somehow he can become human, but in becoming human, not lose any of his divinity. And yeah. like, that's just absolutely crazy kind of thing only God could do and dream up. So that's pretty remarkable, I think. Another reason is that it allows him to be a merciful, sympathetic, and understanding high priest who can relate to us, Mm. which I think is really extra is not probably quite the right word. But 
that's just so, I think, in the nature of God's care and love for us. Yes. That he wouldn't want yeah. us to feel like, oh, well, I'll deal with this, but I don't really know what it's like to you know, be you. You know, you, you peasants can do your own thing. Coming back to Hebrews again, Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus knows what it's like to live in the kind of world we live in. He even knows what it's like to experience the temptations and assaults of Satan. Of course, and yeah. That does not mean that Jesus experienced every single temptation that it's possible to experience. That I feel like that's something a, we can a clear pretty up. big ch- checklist, right? And yeah. also, like we have access to things that they did not have access to. Yes, and the things are commonplace for that world that are very foreign to us. So yes. yeah, let's be real. Exactly. I mean, just to even expound on what you're saying there, I can't imagine he was ever tempted to practice cannibalism, right? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, even I have never been tempted to do that. Not even once. No. And to even further, further expound upon that, I think there are some temptations that you don't feel unless you've already indulged other sinister, dark temptations, right? Like, I don't think you get to cannibalism just Mm. one day being like, I'm going to be a cannibal. Like, there there are some things that... <laughs> it's not a flight of fancy. Right, like, you you fade into that, so to speak, oh, um, yeah. I think. So, all that to say, though, this does mean that at the testing point of experience temptation, Jesus knows what that feels like, and he can relate to us on that level, mm-hmm. on that experiential level. And yet, he can do so without the guilt of having indulged any temptation himself. Yeah. I really like this point a lot, though, because it's not the first thing I think of in answering, like, the big question here, but... It's like this brilliant side effect that we get as a result of this entire pursuit. And I find some comfort and reassurance in that. And like you said, it is such an on-brand thing for God to do. Yes, it is. And I mean, you even like go back out a little further and think about the implications for, you know, I mean, Jesus was tired. He was hungry. He Mm -hmm. wept, you know, like I mean, all these things that we feel and know as human beings, he entered into that experience. Yeah. It's not just, yes, he made us and knows what we are capable of. It's like he also lived through those same trials. Yeah. He was willing to do and experience the things that he asked us to do an experience. So I think that is really awesome. And here's another reason. He provides an example of the full and restored human life. I've heard it said once by someone, I can't remember off the top of my head who it was, but that simply being human is one of the most glorious and impossible tasks that's ever been conceived of. And it was so glorious and impossible, in fact, that only God himself, God the Son, could fully accomplish the full human life. Like, I think that's pretty yeah. crazy to think about, that it took, <laughs> who, who can be perfectly fully human? Oh, only God can. Only God. Wait a minute, what? <laughs> like, what? That's crazy, but that's true. First Peter 2.21 tells us, for to this you have been called because Christ all also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And we also read in 1 John 2, 6, that anyone who says he abides in Christ ought to walk as he walked. So as the church father Athanasius made clear, if you want to restore a defaced image of a man, it's best to get the man back in front of you in order to do so, right? Like oh, you, Yeah, you want the reference material. Right, exactly. And so in similar fashion, Christ has appeared as the true image of God in man so that the image of God within us might be fully restored, right? Because when man fell and sinned, the image of God within us wasn't destroyed, it wasn't annihilated, but it was broken, it was shattered. It's not a whole image anymore. You know, you could look at it and say, well, I can see the fragments of the reflection of God in there, but you don't see it fully. Well, Christ comes 
as that kind of reference point that says, here is the image of God in man. Let's restore that and bring that back to its fullness. Now, to be clear, none of us are the Messiah. So when we say that, like, that's being restored, then we're not saying, oh, we're the Christ. You know, we're not going to live a perfect, sinless life. But the consistent outworking of our lives should be marked by godliness and faithfulness and repentance from sin when we recognize it. So, yeah. I think that's... This is a little off topic. And I... I initially put the note in here in our, in our document, and then I took it out L- wow. last night. I was like looking over everything so I could be prepared. I'm like, yeah, this is ridiculous. And <laughs> now I'm going to share it with you. I welcome it. I'm ready. <laughs> so there is this very strange history of horrific art restoration botches. Really? In Spain, specifically in Spain. In Spain? So, what are these Spaniards doing? Man, I don't know, but I'm concerned. <laughs> I think they're concerned. Um but it, like over the past several years, there are these historically terrible restorations that take place that absolutely deface whatever the previous art was. Like it is, it is really, it is like an elementary school recreation on top of the actual <laughs> priceless work, and it's a nightmare. And it keeps happening in Spain. The weird thing is about this, and that you would bring up the idea of reference material, is that why it's happening there, I cannot say. But similarly us to try to do this without christ without an example yeah we are basically just floundering and making the (laughs) world's worst recreations i mean it's like it's a nightmare and it's such a i mean we like our attempts would would just deface the potential of that image that is a really good point actually that's a really great parallel i'm glad you decided to share that because i'd never i one i didn't i didn't know that was a thing that happened and two that's a really true and good I think, analogy yeah. of that principle. And now I'm just curious. I mean, like, what is, so when you say art restoration, do you have, like, these classic priceless works of art, and then someone's just like, well, we need to... Yeah, whether it needs, like, cleaning and there's damage or there's just from age, they they want to restore it. Someone right. comes in as though they know what they're doing. Apparently, without having certification checked or something. Oh, my and word. it's just it's And just you've ruined. Horrific. Oh, yeah, totally gone. This priceless work of art, right? I mean, and you've replaced it with a meme. Oh, my God. <laughs> Because that's all we have left. That's how terrifying. <laughs> really is like, terrible. actually horrific. Like, yeah. I'm glad I'm not in that business. I would I would be terrified. Yeah, I'm same. Ooh. You think, again, yeah, you drop the analogy. You think, like, that is terrible. That really is. That is something mm. to lament and uh, be sorrowful over. And you think, like, oh, like, we're, without Christ, we're doing that, like, Pretty all much, the time. Yeah. That's terrible. Woof. That's, that's great. That'll preach right there. That'll <laughs> preach. <laughs> Well, here's one more reason to consider. We've only given you four, I know, and there are probably dozens more we could give, but, you know, you can only do so much. We are finite. (laughs) We are not the infinite (laughs) Son of God. But through Jesus, the very essence of God himself is revealed to us in a manner unlike anything else before or since. God had revealed himself to Israel all throughout the Old Testament in beautiful and magnificent ways. And he's also revealed himself in the wonder and splendor of creation. So there's really nowhere in the world where we're left without some sign Mm. or something that points us to God. But in the person of Christ, he could be seen and touched now. Exactly. Um, You know, the Apostle Paul says, we have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, which is when you think about that statement, God himself said to Moses, you can't see my glory and live. Exactly. Like, whoa, we, like, you can't do that. And then suddenly he's like, I'm going to make a way for you to do that too. Mm -hmm. Like, you can now see my glory and live. Not only can you see it, you can touch it. You can feel it. Yeah. Like, that glory will one day wrap his arm around your shoulder and give you a stone with your 
true name on it. So, and then you have, of course, famously John the Apostle saying, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus himself saying in John 14, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So, I mean, when you read about Jesus in the scriptures, I mean, you are getting the fullness of the radiance of the glory of God. And you also have Peter writing in 2 Peter 1.16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Mm. So he saw that both in Jesus's kind of veiled human form, you yeah. know, like that when that glory was kind of hidden, and then on the Mount of Transfiguration, he actually... Yeah. Which is another interesting thing about... I was thinking about that. Peter, because he saw that, and he heard, he said later, we even heard the divine voice giving yeah. testimony to his glory. And then he says something really shocking. He says, and we have the prophetic word more sure, which is like kind of his uh. way of saying like, if you thought what we had was good, you technically have something just as good or maybe better in the prophetic word. Like the Holy Spirit testifies to Christ in the prophetic word, and you get the same experience, and in some ways a better experience than what we had. Because, I mean, you think about that for a minute, and I'm just now drawing these implications out of my head, so this may be a little rough, but Peter saw that. Mm -hmm. He saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Mm -hmm. He saw Moses and Elijah talking to him. He heard the divine voice born from heaven, Mm -hmm. that voice which has made people, you know, tremble in fear and wish, like, I'd rather die than have that voice speak to me. He heard all that stuff, saw those things, and yet he still denied Christ at the moment of testing. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It wasn't until after Jesus had ascended into heaven, given the spirit and these scriptures were being written that Peter was willing to say, I'm not going to deny Christ again. I will die for him. So like you think about that because I think, you know, like if I had seen all those things, I would like go to the ends of the world and do whatever. But like Mm. actually Peter makes the point, we saw those things and it was afterward that it was really born into our hearts. Yeah, I think that's just, that's really crazy and awesome. That is. And it just gives me a lot of comfort, I think. It gives me some some comfort that uh, I am in a a long heritage of uh, people who Christ has gotten a hold of through these things, I guess. And I I think I I would close with one other pertinent statement by C.S. Lewis, because I think that's just so profound and and beautiful. But uh, C.S. Lewis noted that at Christmas time, we remember that there once was a miraculous moment when a small manger in Bethlehem held something bigger than the universe itself. Oh, that's, that's crazy. Mm, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Ah, just so amazing. So anyway, those are a few reasons to consider for why God the Son had to become human. And he did it for our sakes. Yeah. You know? So pretty cool. And I think that uh, for the most part concludes this particular discussion. Yeah. Until we decide to maybe revisit it some other time and add, you know, part 12, two. 12 more reasons. Yeah, part 12 two. more reasons. Yes, 12 more reasons why. So thank you as always for listening. And if you found this content helpful, encouraging, enlightening, and you want to leave us a five-star review in the iTunes store, uh, we would be appreciative of that. Yeah, we thank you. That, yes, if you want to share it with your friends, that would be wonderful too. And if you have any questions on this or any other topic, you can shoot those to podcast at horizonschurch.net or you can interact with us on social media. Thank you as always for listening and we will catch you next time.